Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Vietnam veteran Cameron, played by Steve Railsback, is on the run from the police when he stumbles onto the set of a war movie directed by a megalomaniac, Eli Cross, played by Peter O'Toole. But when the young fugitive is forced to replace a dead stuntman, he falls in love with the movie's leading lady, that played by Barbara Hershey. While trying to avoid getting arrested or killed, is Eli trying to capture Cameron's death on film? And what happens when a paranoid stuntman when illusion and reality change places. Completed in 1979 and released, unreleased until 1980, this innovative dramatic comedy action thriller has become one of the most acclaimed cult films of all time. We're fortunate and honored today to be joined by the director, the writer, and Oscar-nominated filmmaker Richard Rush. Richard, welcome to Film School. Hello. Thank you for that introduction. Well. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to, uh, first of all, there's a lot of reasons to have you on uh, uh, film school, but one of them, uh, one of the more pressing uh, reasons is the fact that we are celebrating the 35th anniversary of the release uh, of uh, The Stuntman, um, and we're going to do that by celebrating uh, the anniversary uh, this coming Wednesday, February 19th, at the Landmark in Los Angeles. That's the one on Pico um and uh, and along with yourself, Richard Rush, will be uh, the the one of the actors, uh, Steve Railsback, and it says here others to be announced. First of all, let me welcome you, and again, and thank you for being here. But also, um, we look forward to seeing you on uh, next Wednesday night at the Landmark. I appreciate that. I look forward to all of you coming. Now, uh, tell us uh, for those of you, since it was a film that was released thirty five years ago, and. Many in our audience may not be familiar with the statement. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of the story and uh, how you became uh, the writer and director of the statement. Tell us a little bit about the backstory here. Okay. First of all, when you say 35 years, I must say at the beginning, it seems like yesterday. <laughs> so, yes. I'm, I'm, fr- I'm familiar with that idea, that concept myself, so I understand. But, uh, right. Yeah. I'll be living under that delusion as we talk. <laughs> uh, the genesis of the stuntman was I had just done my first uh, studio picture. I had done several independent films mm-hmm. and had been sort of the biggest fish in a tiny pond, the best of the $2 hookers. <laughs> <laughs> you got $2, get rush. You've got three, get somebody else. <laughs> this is my first studio picture. Was called Getting Straight. Yeah. I was very pleased with it, and it turned out to be their best grocer that year at Columbia. So they naturally offered me other projects, and one of them was a book called The Stuntman. It was a uh, existential book, it had been written by uh, a film critic, Paul Brodeur, uh-huh. and uh, it had received rave reviews and a pretty good sale in five or six countries. And the head of the studio told me there were a couple of very hot directors who were after the property. Francois Truffaut, for one, and I was flattered at being given the book. I read it. Frankly, I didn't like it. It didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. But there was an irresistible metaphor in the book. I couldn't resist. It was a 
thematic line yeah. to hang some interesting thematic material on. The metaphor was it was the idea of taking a fugitive, giving him a place to hide at a movie company, being unfamiliar with the surroundings. He starts becoming paranoid and believes the director is trying to kill him in order to get his death on film. Yeah. And this seemed a wonderful way to examine our universal panic and paranoia yeah. over the inability to understand what the hell is happening around us, which I think is the universal disease. We tend to view the events of our lives as though we were peeking through a keyhole, mm. and we see very little of what's really happening. To be able to examine that theme, but also examine it against a big action-adventure film yeah. seemed an, a, an opportunity not to be left behind. I wrote a treatment of what I would do with it, turning the idea of illusion and reality into visceral, visual ideas rather than just a verbal theme. And I showed it to the studio, and they liked it, and they said, good, let's do it. So I hired Larry Marcus to write the screenplay with me. He had just done a knockout of a picture called Petulia. And, uh, Julie Christie, as I recall. Exactly, yes, right. Yes. And we spent nine months writing the screenplay, at which point he was born and I was madly in love with it. I showed it to the studio, and they didn't share my enthusiasm. Okay. <laughs> n not the first time this has happened to a director, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, they wanted a series of changes, and I hadn't grown up in that part of a business where you you turn your stuff in and you get... You know, you get notes from the studio, and then you do a second draft and a third draft. As a matter of fact, after that event, my contracts always said, I'll only turn in one draft, and that's the final. I couldn't respond to the notes, so instead I wrote a 30-page insulting essay and asked if I could take the picture and turn around. My agent at the time, who was famous for some later mistakes, made one of his classic mistakes. He told me that I'm sure with your heat from getting straight, We'll have a studio deal inside of a week. Inside of a month, we've been turned down twice by every studio in town. And that started the 10-year journey between script and screen for The Stuntman. You had a, a level of determination to make this film uh, 10 years of struggling to find someone who would finance it, I assume, and, and also get yes. a distribu distributor for it as well. Right. So what was your breakthrough in this? Well, the problem was that every... Every time I got offered a picture, I would say, hey, guys, let's do the stuntman instead. And pretty soon they were saying, hey, get out of the office, will you? And, uh, and that went on for about eight years. Okay. <laughs> Finally, I connected with a financier who was new to the business. He was a, what do you call it, a maker of malls. Oh, okay. Malls. Oh, yeah, big shopping malls. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he had just entered the film business. And I met with him in New York, and the pitch went very well, but he ran out of time. So I hitchhiked a ride in his jet. It was between New York and Boston, riding backwards over Providence. <laughs> okay. The, the, the deal closed, and it stuck. It amazingly stuck. I can't tell you how many meetings I've had at the Polo Lounge where the two of us sit across the aisle as a table from each other, mm -hmm. each claiming to have half the money.
and both of us are lying. Here was a man with all the money, and he wanted to make the picture. So, well, thankfully for all of us, you, you got the money. Right. Uh, at some point, you had a, a, a fully realized script, something you were happy with. Uh, at what point in uh, in how long did it take you to assemble what, like I said, is just a remarkable cast that you got? Well, actually, is there another step in there? There is another step. Okay, and that is once the deal is made, it took two years to collect the money, and during that time, there were a lot of things to do, among them, casting the picture and holding that cast dangling on a thread for two years. While they loyally turned down other pictures and juggled their schedules and so on. And that included Peter O'Toole and Barbara Hershey and Steve Railsley. Then I also did need a final rewrite at that point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a rewrite to make the picture better. It was to keep it from disintegrating. Ten years had sort of warped the screenplay. Our futures from the Vietnam uh, was a soldier from the Vietnam War. Mm And that was significant in terms of the story. The war was growing further and further away, and so our fugitive was necessarily becoming older. I finally figured out, by dealing with that problem, turning it into a problem in their screenplay, in a sense, I solved the problem. At one point, at a dinner table, uh, no, the writer says to Eli, your problem is you want to do this great big anti-war picture. You had a war, but they wouldn't let you. Now they'll let you, but your your war is receding into the distance. And you've got egg on your face. And he said, if you'll write me another scene, uh, I, the egg will drop from my face. The picture's not about fighting wars. It's about fighting windmills. War, war is just one of the symptoms. And he said, oh, yeah, well, what's the disease? He says, name the disease in this scene, and perhaps our screenplay will become relevant again. So you wrote that. That was something you wrote. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, beautiful. I re- it's one of my favorite scenes in the film. So, and and it was a strange, marvelous opportunity to let the rhetoric, the screenplay, play out plot-wise. By the end of the film, we actually named the disease. Yes, it's sort of fun. Yes, it, it is. And uh, uh, again, I, I want uh, listeners to uh, remind our listeners we're speaking with Richard Rush, the director and writer of the film The Stuntman. Uh, the Stuntman is going to be. Uh, celebrated for its 35th anniversary at the Landmark Theater in Los Angeles. That's coming up this Wednesday, February 19th. Richard Rush will be there along with Stephen Railsback, and it says, and and others to be announced. Uh, there will be another couple good. that probably will show up there. So in the when you're writing the screenplay, uh, rewriting it, sort of tinkering with it, are you handing this off to... Peter O'Toole and Barbara Hershey for their take? Are you, in order to keep them interested, are you doing that at all? How was that process unfolding? I, I think eventually it got to them after I locked it in and felt that that was, okay. that was the right way to go. It, it wasn't, at that point, a collaborative effort. It became one once we got on the stage. Okay. As all good pictures do. Now, it's locked in. You've got the money. You've got what you feel is, is all the kind of the tools that you need. And now you've got your you've got your cast. You've been talking to them for a while. Is that is that how it went? I mean, did, did Peter O'Toole say when you said go, he was said let's let's do this? Or oh, when I originally gave it to Peter, he took it to London and said, called me back and said, I'm a literate, fairly intelligent man. I've read your screenplay, and if you don't let me play the part, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was 
about as good as an acceptance as I could get. Well, well, and and for our listeners, uh, Peter O'Toole did obviously you know, one of the greatest film uh, actors of all time, probably stage play as well, you'd say the same, on the stage screen and whatever he chose to do. Uh, obviously, Lawrence of Arabia, Lion in Winter. There's a long, long list. This is one of my favorite Peter O'Toole roles. I'm so thrilled to hear that. It really is, and I'll tell you why. Is He's not known as, I mean, until, I mean, he did my favorite year after he did The Stuntman. Not right. many people realized what a great comedic actor he is he was and that he i mean the ruling class yes but this is a different kind of role and it, and, and it's so sly it's such a it's so has so much fun with this the role of eli cross you can just see right. it in his in his body language and his attitude and he just must have had a blast with this film with making he it. did it was wonderful and for me peter's work defines the outer limits of the art of acting mm-hmm to have him to play my favorite director role in the film is, is uh, actually the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, and again, for people who haven't seen The, the Stuntman, he plays the part of this director who, uh, instead of allaying the fears of our, our, our uh, stuntman Cameron, he actually exacerbates them. He continues to feed his paranoia because he believes it, at the heart of this film and his story is the demons that are chasing uh, Stephen Railsback, character of Cameron. He believes that by by essentially feeding the beast, he's going to draw out of him what he wants in the film. And it, there's so many things about the stunt man. This thing, this film, kind of folds in on itself, and then expands <laughs> out and folds back in on itself. It's in, in the way that the story is told. It's just uh, just such a wonderful kind of. Chinese puzzle of, of a film and um, so you've got okay so we've got Peter O'Toole now we've got mm-hmm. Barbara Hershey who's who's not uh, I, am I wrong to say she's not a really well-known commodity at that point but a, certainly an actress on the rise at that point right an actress on the rise not violently bankable but but a good name and a, and a good character I mean there is nothing more in a study of illusion in reality there's nothing more illusory than our romantic lives. Yes. And she plays the girl across a crowded room, and she's a good representation of that. Yes, she is. And there's a couple of scenes with her and, and uh, Cameron or Stephen Rails back, and uh, the, the, her ability to project that sort of ethereal you know, beauty beyond, beyond approach uh, as the, you know, the, the unattainable beauty. Right. Uh, it's just wonderful. In fact, their introduction when she falls into the water as the old woman and Cameron pulls her out, you <laughs> right. know, and the, the act of chivalry and all of it. It's, a, again, a, just a, just such a masterful job. Now, when you were putting, uh, you know, when you were thinking about how this was going to happen, of how you were making the film, did you find it easy to find this kind of tone where you could where you could go back and forth between drama and comedy so fluidly? Did how was how were you able to kind of determine setting that tone? Was it the actors? Was it tell us a little bit how you did that? Well, truthfully, that it is the way I see life, and all all of my films have been action comedies that walk that tightrope between drama and comedy, and. Uh, uh, it's it's the only way I know how to tell a story, because it's the way I guess I view things. And I guess that's the influence of, when I was a kid, Proust was my favorite writer, and I loved the Batman, and Tom and Jerry as well. They are not mutually exclusive. Mm. They both, all three, find their way into my material. 
Interesting. So that that idea that that kind of yin and yang, if you will, of life is is the comedy and the drama, is it not? Right. It's, I think I think that's it. And, and okay, so uh, so you're under production. And by the way, uh, an interesting choice for um, the setting. Uh, it's set in in at the Coronado Hotel in San Diego. What right. was it? What, what what played into your decision to? for that lo- particular location, because it becomes kind of a character into itself in the film. But tell us a little it bit does. about it. Yeah, go ahead. It was madness. Uh, <laughs> Pauline Kael, when she reviewed the picture, said, if there is such a thing as a perfect location, a masterpiece of a location, this is it. And I, and I, that was in her review, and I nearly dumped it and decided against it because of all the palm trees. It's, what I needed was an austere hotel with a turreted roof that we could stage stunts on that existed in a middle European country during World War One, And I couldn't justify all those palm trees in my mind. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's not my problem. Yeah. That's Peter O'Toole's problem. That's Eli Cross's problem. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. His picture is the period piece. Mine is a contemporary picture about making a movie. About a period. Yeah, and so I can show all the palm trees and parking lots I want to, whereas in his picture they have to be avoided. Right. Well, and and what I'm what I'm hearing from you in our conversation here is is just how many of these things you telegraph to the audience that the and and that's the beauty of this vehicle. And I don't think I've done a good job of explaining. This is a movie about filmmaking as as well as a love story, as well as a story of psychology and mythology and all kinds of things but it's at at, at sort of basic level it's a movie about making a movie so it's so so this is where and in 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 the film i'll just give this a little bit away and in the film eli cross peter o'toole's character says how am i you know why am this there's palm trees palm trees everywhere i'm making a movie a world war one movie and there's palm trees what do i you know basically how do i get around this problem and that's as you said that's his problem not yours Right. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And that's how I got around it by having him, by writing that little scene and him deliver it in his very comical and brilliant style. And another thing uh, about the the film is uh, that oh, well, just about the setting, I should say, Coronado. Also, the setting for, if I'm not mistaken, for Some Like It Hot, one of the great comedies of exactly all time. Exactly true. Did, did did that play into it at all in your decision to to do that there? No, okay. I uh, okay. I didn't let it bother me that there had been a great film made there already. Yeah. So the the okay. So uh, again, we're speaking with Richard Rush, the writer director, uh, Oscar nominated for best director that year, uh, nineteen eighty one. And by the way, I did a little bit of a look back on nineteen eighty one to see you know who else was running in the running that year. And what a brutally great year for <laughs> for <laughs> films! <laughs> oh my God, I'm just going to run through the films that were nominated for best film of that year: um, Ordinary People, Coal Miner's Daughter, Elephant Man, Raging Bull, and Tess. Now you were nominated for best director that year, so let's just kind of look at that list. You probably know it by heart, but I'll, I'm going to read it off here: Robert Redford for Ordinary People. David Lynch for Elephant Man, Roman Polanski for Tess, <laughs> Raging Bull was obviously Martin Scorsese, and Richard Rush for The Stuntman. Oh, my God. That's a murderer's row of films in one year. Isn't it? Right. Oh, my God. 
So, I was also competing for best writer and best writer, best adapted writer or, 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 or screenplay adapted material. So let's go through that real quick, which was Ordinary People, Breaker Morant, Coal Miner's Daughter, Elephant Man, and The Stuntman. So you and uh, Lawrence Marcus wrote this. I mean, amazing, amazing year for film. And uh, just uh, how did you feel going into uh, the uh, the actual award ceremony? You must have. Uh, what you, what was your feeling going in? Well, I was, <laughs> can't tell you how thrilled I was to be there, to be part of the real Hollywood for a change. Yeah. I, had, I had come from a background of guerrilla filmmaking, yeah. and suddenly I had arrived at the red carpet, and it was wonderful to be nominated and to be taken very seri- in the serious consideration with all these films. Also, I think, and this is really remarkable, I think we were the the best reviewed film in the last couple of decades. Yeah. Well, I know on Rotten Tomatoes to this day, it's still, at, I think, at 92 or 93%, which is incredible. Um, and uh, so it obviously has been a film that has held up over the years. And I, again, I think that's a testament to the film, the story, the acting. It's just the whole combination of things here. Um, I'll ask you, I don't know if this is a little bit of an obscure question, um, and just in your recollection. Now, obviously, you had your struggles in, in getting this film to screen, and it sounds like you may have stepped on a few toes in that process, that 10-year process, your determination right. to make this happen. Did you feel, uh, leading up to the Oscars and even during, uh, you know, the sort of the, the hoopla around the Oscars, that there were any hard feelings, people resented you for continuing to sort of pursue this. Uh, Would any of that kind of have any residual impact on you and your career, do you think? No, I, I felt the contrary. Okay. There was like an overwhelming groundswell of rooting for what was an underdog and was now emerging as, as a favorite. And uh, I think that's because every leading New York critic and important world critic mm-hmm. had done a rave review on it, and that really did a lot to turn to turn industry opinion. I only had one mortal enemy, and he was inside the company. Okay, okay. Because the company that made it, and he has advised against making the film, and uh, I had advised against hiring him, so we were cast as enemies from the beginning. Oh, okay. And he was doing his best to see that it not succeed. So that was a difficulty all the way through. Okay, okay. Well, then, that I, I just was kind of curious because often you hear these horror stories of, you know, people sort of carrying grudges beyond this one particular individual, I guess. But people right. carrying grudges against filmmakers. I mean, Terry Gilliam, I think, is an example of not to name too many names here, but it seems that his career has been dogged by his own sort of singular vision and he uh, didn't bend well to to you know others others opinions, and I was just kind of curious. And um, I think I think what has damaged me somewhat is that I think if they don't find you useful, mm-hmm. then they finally get tired of pursuing you and discard you. Mm-hmm. And I had problems saying yes to other people's films. I always wanted to make my own, mm-hmm. which made me yes less useful than mm-hmm. I could have been. Oh, we're, we're speaking with Richard Rush, the director-writer uh, of the film The Stuntman, which will be uh, screening this Wednesday, February 19th at the Landmark Los Angeles. 
Uh, it's that's on Pico Boulevard. Great, great theater complex. Go check that out. Uh, Richard will be there uh, as part of a, the a, other people, including Stephen Railsback, to talk about uh, the 35th anniversary of the stuntman and the making of and the impact it's had on all their lives. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, I noticed that in your early part of your career, you uh, working um, in uh, sort of the the Hell's Angels kind of films that you did. Right. Jack Nicholson came out of two of my biker films. Yeah, Hell's Angels, right? Um, Hell's Angels on Wheels and The Savage Seven. And also the work with Laszlo Kovac um, in, right. in some of his, many of your early films in, in Freebie and the Bean, I believe, as well as uh, Getting Straight. Um, yes, he was. He was my cameraman, really. I I only lent him to the rest of the world. Yeah, and what what a terrific uh, talent he 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 was. And uh, I just obviously, uh, you know, being uh, part of uh, as an artist, you can appreciate this kind of artist community. And obviously, you help foster that with uh, some of these people that you work with in their careers. Um, I also want to mention some of the other people in the film. We we mentioned Peter O'Toole, Stephen Railsback, Barbara Hershey. Uh, someone who I felt like didn't get a real uh, 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 the amount of credit that they deserved as an actor is Alan Garfield, who I believe at that time was known as Alan Gorwitz. I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure exactly when he changed his name. Yes, uh, after I hired him as Alan Gorwitz, he changed. I mean, as Alan Garfield, I'm paid for Alan Garfield. He changed his name to Alan Gorwitz. Okay. <laughs> Just. Just a w- wonderful actor. Uh, he plays the part of the writer, the one who's been yeah. asked to, to let have the egg drop from Eli across his face by writing a better scene or a new, new scene. Uh, he's yeah. wonderful. He's wonderful in this film, but he was wonderful in a lot of other films. He was, always. And I remember um, one of the reviews of him in The Stuntman particularly tickled, tickled me because he says, because it said that uh, he was as benign as Peter O'Toole was devilish. Oh, yeah, devilish. Yeah. Again, I just there's other people, Sharon Farrell, Adam Rourke, who was in some of your biker films, that I believe, early on. Sharon Farrell called me last night and said she's coming to the screening. Oh, fantastic. So she'll be there. Uh, just there's so many, uh, again, in The Stuntman, there are a lot of uh, different kind of cross-currents in this film, a lot of different storylines, a lot of agendas being served. Uh, in this film, in terms of the uh, the storylines, and it just keeps it a very interesting, and I think really fun film to watch. And uh, I can't let you get away without at least alluding to one of my all-time favorite films. It's uh, at the, at the very end when Eli steps off of the uh, off the helicopter and rails back is uh, sitting on the riverbank there, <clears throat> and he says really what the film is about and. And I have to ask you, and I don't want to give this away because I want the audience to watch it, but you, he alludes to a filmmaker who made a film, an anti-war film, who actually drove up, it actually drove up enlistments. Right. Was there a particular film that you were referring to? Is it All Quiet uh, on the Western Front? Was that, is that one of the films you were thinking of when you wrote that line? It was among the films I was thinking of. Okay. I don't remember, frankly, if there was a specific, a specific example, but I had the feeling that the problem with most anti-war films is that they were so glamorous about depicting war that you tend to put on glory-colored glasses with a macho hue 
and watch the film through those glasses, which didn't really promote an anti-war theme. Yeah, and I thought that was such it was it was such a wonderful this scene is such a wonderful way to sort of wrap up the film and 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 O'Toole's character and his motivations and so much of the sort of the root of his character. And really what an artist this director, Eli Cross, was, no matter what his methods were, at the end of the day, he was a, a, a compassionate an artist. And he wanted to get what, what he thought was best for his, for his work. And I just thought right. it was beautifully done, just absolutely stunning uh, coda to the film. And um, uh, I, I got to tell you, Richard, it's just such an honor to have this opportunity to talk to you. I, I mentioned to you earlier that you know, I loved film before I saw The Stuntman, but I really saw possibilities in in, a, in your film that I had never seen in movies before. And really, it, my love affair with films just took on a whole nother level and a whole nother uh, sense of of what is possible in art and in and in filmmaking. So that's so kind and meaningful for you to say. I can't tell you. Uh, how much that <laughs> makes my heart swell. Well, and I and well, I you're welcome, and the pleasure that your work has given me, not just with the stunt man. I, I mean, they're 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 just a, a body of work. Uh, you know, into the night. I know uh, it's, it's it's a wonderful film as well. Uh, it's gotten the kind of uh, attention that I think it deserves, but uh, just so much. There's so much, and I, I'm I'm grateful, and and I look forward. Uh, to meeting you, uh, shaking your hand on Wednesday night at the, at the landmark in Los Angeles. Same here. Yeah, and and uh, I I like to think that in some small in some way the reason that I I wanted to do a film a show about film and filmmaking, uh, in in some way stems back to the first uh, ten times that I saw the stuntman. And uh, I want to thank you. It's it's really <laughs> truly truly for me an honor that you're here. So it's coming round robin now with this interview. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, so Richard Rush, this Wednesday, February 19th, the landmark uh, Los Angeles, 35th anniversary of the stuntman. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Goodbye. And I hope I'll see you all there on Wednesday night. You've been listening to Film School Radio the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.